It is officially game day, and the Zags have a top 75 opponent on deck in Yale who could present an issue for Mark Few's team, especially down a starter in Steel Venters. Let's preview the first official game of the season right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all happy friday and happy game day and welcome into the locked on zags podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day i am your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics today's episode of locked on zags is brought to you by jace medical empower yourself when you purchase a jace case providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. All right, folks, it is the first official game of the season tonight against the Yale Bulldogs. And this preview episode was done on Wednesday. It was done prior to the news of Steel Venters' injury. Of course, we moved it back a day to talk about the Steel injury, what it means for Gonzaga, what it means for Steel, what it means for Dusty Stromer and the lineup. So for today, we're going to release the Yale preview. The five things to watch had to make some updates to those without Steel Venters in the mix. But that's what we're going to do here in the first two segments. We're going to close out the show today having a discussion that has been very prominent on social media, very prominent on our Discord channel as well. Go ahead and click that link to join in the show notes if you have not done so yet. We're going to be talking about whether Anton Watson will slide over to the three and play some minutes there with the crowded front court that Gonzaga has and, and whether that's an option or not. So stay tuned here as we get into our Yale preview here before the game. Zags are playing Yale Friday, 6 p.m., November 10th, McCarthy Athletic Center. That is the deal. Second straight week, Gonzaga is playing a 6 p.m. game on a Friday. Of course, last week was the exhibition opener against Lewis Clark State. This week, it is the real deal. And Gonzaga, I didn't actually look to confirm, but Gonzaga is perhaps, if not the very last team to make their season debut this season. They are certainly among the very last teams to play their first game of the season. Almost everybody else has played at least one game this season. Gonzaga decided to be fashionably late to the 2023-24 college basketball season by not playing until 6 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern Eastern time for their first game of the season on Friday. The game will be similar to last week. It'll be on SWX or KHQ Local in Spokane. For people outside of the Spokane market, the game will be televised on ESPN+. I'm in the Portland metro area, and ESPN Plus worked fine for me last week, so hopefully people in Portland and Seattle out in those areas are are able to watch this game on ESPN Plus. That is the the hope, the expectation. Uh, Certainly, if if you're not able to and you go to KHQ's website, usually they'll have a stream on there, and you should be able to watch the game that way. If you have questions about that, uh, check with our Discord channel. We're, We're talking Gonzaga basketball all the time. For starters, it's a great place to be. It's free to join. There's a link in the show notes, but we also kind of make sure everybody's got a got a way to watch the game. It's kind of part of the, the routine, at least it was last week. So Gonzaga, Yale. This should be an interesting matchup. Yale, we'll talk a little bit about who Yale is for starters. They're 1-0 on the season. Again, Gonzaga is one of the last teams to start their season. Now, Yale opened up against Vassar College, uh, a Division three opponent, so not a result that merits a ton of conversation. They won 102 to 53. That's what you'd hope that most Division One schools would do against a D3 school. Uh, 50-point victories are not 
always going to be the case. But Yale, again, this is a team that won 21 games last year. Uh, they played 16 players in this game, which is unheard. Gonzaga doesn't have 16 players on their roster. Uh, every single one of these players played six or more minutes. That, that blows my mind. Yale played 16 players, six or more minutes in a game. That is unheard of. It's very clearly not going to happen on Friday for what it's worth. Yale's not going to play 16 players on Friday against Gonzaga, but it is a, a, a notable thing that they have that kind of depth, that kind of just roster in general. Obviously, some of those guys were walk-ons just from rules perspective, but still a, a wild stat coming out of that game. They shot 63.5% from the field. They shot 41% from three. Again, playing a D3 school, so I think you take some of those numbers with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, their leading scorer in this game was Nick Townsend, who scored 13. He averaged two and a half points per game last year, so perhaps a player to watch as he kind of comes into his own in this next upcoming season. Ken Palm has Yale right now as the 71st team in the country, so kind of outside that scope of, of where you'd expect like at-large teams to fall. Now, Ken Palm does have Yale as the top team in the Ivy League ahead of Princeton. I think Princeton was 96th in the Ken Palm rankings. Of course, last year, Yale tied for first place in the Ivy League, went into the tournament, uh, you know, expecting to win the, the Ivy League tournament, make themselves, uh, get themselves into the NCAA tournament. Of course, that did not happen. Princeton won the uh, Ivy League conference. They got a 15 seed and they beat Arizona in the first round, uh, a loss that would have gotten a lot more attention had it not happened at the same time as Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, 16 seeds, upsetting one seeds are going to take some pressure off of you if you lose to a 15 seed, but a uh, really nice run from Princeton. But that doesn't take away anything from Yale. Uh, Ken Palm adjusted offensively, has them 63rd defensively, 83rd. Uh, so a, a balanced team, good on both sides of the ball. Tempo-wise, they're just outside the top 200. So not a team that's pushing the pace all that much. They're not really expected to do so, but they are a really, really good three-point shooting team. And if you want to look for uh, a, a reason to be nervous about this game, that's going to be it right there. Yale has the recipe that can pull early season upsets. They can pull upsets, period. They have a ton of players returning. They lost one really key player in EJ Jarvis. Jarvis actually transferred to Florida, was a big pickup for Todd Gold and the Gators, and then left the Florida program and, and decided to, to discontinue his college basketball playing career. But Jarvis was 11.3 points per game last year, but Yale returns four other guys who averaged in double figures. Four guys. Matt Nolan comes back 13.6 points per game last year. John Puladikis comes back 6'6 guard, 12 points per game, 40% from three. August Mahoney, 6'4 guard, comes back 11 points on 47% from beyond the arc. And then Bez Mebang comes back 6'4 guard, 10 points, four boards, three assists, and one and a half steals for the Bulldogs. Now, Yale lacks depth in the front court. Jarvis was one of their bigger players. They lost their backup center. Their starting center this year is expected to be Danny Wolf. Danny Wolf is seven feet tall. You don't see a lot of seven-footers in the Ivy League, but he averaged two and a half points per game last year. His stock did rise over the summer. He played well in some uh, conference tournaments or in some some. Summer summer tournaments uh, had eight points, 10 boards in that win over Vassar. So his ability to impact the game as a rim protector, as a big body is going to be a big part of this game. Last thing I want to say here, Gonzaga doesn't typically play good teams to start the season. They usually play good teams in the first couple games of the season, but they rarely begin the year game number one against a quality opponent. 
In the last five years, they have played four not particularly notable teams, with the exception being Kansas in 2020, that tremendous game where Jalen Suggs introduced himself to college basketball in a major way with a monster performance there. Uh, But last year, Gonzaga played North Florida. The year before that, it was Utah Tech, formerly known as Dixie State. Uh, 2019, it was Lewis Clark State. That game was an actual game, not just an exhibition game. Back in 2018, it was Idaho State. So this is unusual for Gonzaga to play a a stronger opponent. Of course, Yale's still an Ivy League team, still a mid-major program, not exactly a a traditional basketball powerhouse, but a good team, a tournament-caliber team, an experienced veteran team with a lot of outside shooting. So what does this mean for Gonzaga? Are they legitimately on upset watch? How are they going to fare in their first actual game of the season? I'm going to tell you what I expect to see from Gonzaga and some things that I will be watching for in this matchup. All coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead you to big payouts like their Taco Tuesday deals. Every Tuesday, Price Picks discounts select player projections all the way up to 25%, which gives you even more value. Plus, with the private prize picks reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for NFL games or college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they do not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Folks, this is unprecedented in the daily fantasy sports space. Price picks is the only app that is doing this, the only one that gives injury insurance. Beyond all that, guys, this app is just really easy to use. All you have to do is pick two or more players and you choose more or less with whatever given stat there is. So if you watch watching NBA games and you think, hey, Chet Holmgren's going to get more than two and a half blocks, more than 11 and a half points, whatever the line is, you hit over, you watch the game, he hits over those numbers, you get paid. That's it. It is literally that simple. So go to pricepicks.com and use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit matchup up to $100. Again, that's prizepix.com slash locked on college using that promo code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prizepix, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, folks, continuing our conversation here, discussing the Yale Bulldogs, Gonzaga's first official game of the 2023-24 college basketball season Friday at 6 p.m. First of all, I want to thank all of you who have made this show your first listen or your first watch of the day. want to give a special shout out to those everyday listeners as well, especially those of you who have joined us on that Discord channel, who are commenting on YouTube, who are following on Twitter, all of that great stuff. The Discord channel in particular, close to 250 people in there right now. We're literally talking about Gonzaga basketball, NBA Zags, WCC hoops, regular college basketball, all of that every minute of every day. So check it out if you can. It is totally free to join. There is a link in your show notes. Let's get into our five things to watch, five keys to victory here for this Gonzaga game against Yale on Friday. Number one, the Zags need to let Graham eat. Get Graham E.K. the ball early. Get Graham E.K. the ball often and let the young man go to work because Graham E.K. looked every bit like that preseason Mountain West player of the year that he was ahead of the 22-23 season before, of course, he suffered that foot injury, ultimately decided not to return during the year, took a redshirt year, and recovered throughout the offseason. EK looked like that dude against Lewis and Clark State. Again, the caveat continues to be that that was against Lewis Clark State, a Division III school, a school that didn't have the kind of size that you typically expect to see in Division I college basketball. Yale does. Yale's not big by any stretch of the imagination in the sense that they're not – 
you know, Zach Eady or Donovan Klingon, or even some of the teams in the WCC that have more size than Yale, but Yale's got a seven footer. They got, they, they, they play against division one opponents. This is a real test. Not that EK needs to be tested. I mean, the dude averaged 19 and nine in the mountain West for an entire season. He proved he's more than capable of scoring at this level, but it's been a year since he's played this kind of opponent in a real game. I have no doubt that he's going to have massive amounts of success and I would be willing to, I'm willing to predict quite comfortably that Graham EK leads, leads Gonzaga in scoring in this game. If Gonzaga operates the way that I expect them to, they're going to be getting the ball early and often. He's going to be putting pressure on Yale's defense uh, and he's going to try to force them to double. Now, what I'm curious about is how Graham EK handles double teams because one of Drew Timmy's greatest strengths was recognizing when a double team was coming, knowing when to kick it out, knowing where to kick it out. Drew turned the ball over a fair amount, but he also had the ball in his hands a ton last year. How does EK handle that? EK's got better teammates around him than he did at Wyoming. Is he going to be able to find open players, make those passes? Because I think Yale's going to be the first team that really puts that to the test. Number two, talked about it a little bit in that first segment. How does Gonzaga defend the perimeter? Because it's going to be a problem. Yale's going to shoot threes. They're going to shoot a lot of them. They're going to make a lot of them. You got multiple starters who are over 40% three-point shooters last year. Multiple guys who can knock it down and light it up from beyond the arc. Gonzaga has historically struggled to defend the three-point line. How they do that in this game will be a big story. Do we see Gonzaga run half-court traps, trying to get the ball out of the guard's hands early? Do we see them run full-court press like they did in the scrimmage game against Lewis Clark State? I don't think we're going to see zone. I think it's going to be a man-to-man defense in the half-court. But are they putting a lot of pressure on the guards? Are they coming under on screens? Are they going over on screens? How are they playing defense? Who is kind of handling those roles? The sharpshooters. Is Nolan Hickman on them? What does Dusty Stromer look like on the defensive end of the floor? There's a lot of questions I have about Gonzaga's, both Gonzaga's perimeter and their rim protection. But in this specific example, because Yale is most likely to, if they are going to beat Gonzaga, if they are going to pull an upset or at least keep this this thing close, it's going to be because of their outside shooting. So for me, the big thing I'll be watching for is how does Gonzaga counteract that? What do they do to prevent Yale from getting open looks from three? And if they don't, if they struggle with that, what does that mean when they play UConn? or even Purdue, or you know, any other team that, that might have a, a bit more of a balanced roster in terms of outside shooting and interior scoring. If Gonzaga can't guard the perimeter, that's going to be an issue for them going forward. Key number three for the Zags here is a pretty easy one. What the heck's going to happen at small forward? We're expecting Dusty Stromer to step into the starting lineup to replace Steel Venters, of course, Steel out for the entire season with a devastating knee injury suffered just a few days before the start of the season. So the expectation here on Locked On Zags, the expectation by most is that Dusty Stromer will step into that starting role. But what does that look like? How many minutes does he play? How does he adjust to being in that starting lineup? One of the reasons we really liked Venters in the starting lineup was for that floor spacing ability. Uh, Dusty brings different things. He doesn't bring the consistent outside shooting that we were expecting from Steele. He does bring other elements. He brings more defensive intensity. He brings that floater game. So I think it'll be, it'll just be a different look for Gonzaga and they're not going to have a whole lot of time to make that adjustment. And I think that's, what's going to make this game so compelling. Dusty is talented. The talent is not the issue. The depth is an issue and more just how quickly can the pieces come together? Yale is a tough team. If they were opening against Eastern Oregon, you wouldn't really have any concern here because the talent the disparity between the two teams is just so significant. 
Gonzaga is a better roster talent-wise than Yale, but Yale is good. And they're going to exploit any advantages that they can find. And going after a freshman small forward who's never played Division I basketball and found out he was going to be a starter two days ago, you can bet that's an area they're going to exploit. Doesn't mean that Dusty's going to have a terrible game by any stretch of the imagination, just something that is going to be an incredible key in this contest. Beyond that, how do the rest of the minutes shake out at small forward? Dusty's not playing 40 minutes at the three. Do we see a bigger role from Jun Sok Yo? Do we see more three-guard lineups with Luka Krinovich playing alongside Ryan Nembhard and Nolan Hickman? Krinovich is 6'5". It is possible for him to step into a bigger role offensively. And we'll talk more later in the show about the other option, Anton Watson potentially playing some minutes of a three and what that might look like. But a huge key in this game is how Yale attempts to attack Gonzaga's change at the small forward position and how Dusty Stromer responds to that and what else happens in Gonzaga's rotation now that Steel Venters is out of the picture. Number four, how do the big man minutes get distributed in this game? This is less of a key and more of a thing I'll be watching for. A couple different notes on this. Does Graham E.K. play 25 or more minutes per game? In this game, I should say. Obviously, that depends on a lot of factors. Does he get in foul trouble? Does do, does Gonzaga run up the score if they're up by 25 or more points with 10 minutes to go? EK is probably done for the evening. So it, it's going to depend. If it stays a close game throughout, I'll be interested to see if EK does play more than 30 minutes, 32 minutes. If he ends up in that role or if he's not capable of it because of conditioning issues, still coming back from that foot injury, whatever it may be. Beyond that, very curious who will play more minutes between Ben Gregg and Braden Huff. All offseason, the expectation has been that Ben Gregg will be the sixth man for this team, that he's the third big behind uh, Graham E.K. and Anton Watson. I expected for a while that Braden Huff wouldn't even be in the rotation. Now it looks pretty clear that Braden Huff's at least going to be in the rotation. It's hard to imagine he doesn't get that opportunity. But does he play more than Gregg? In the exhibition game against Baylor, both those guys played about the same amount of time. And I think that's probably what we're going to see. I think they're both going to play 12 to 15-ish minutes per game. I think Huff's primarily going to play when EK's not on the floor. Greg is primarily going to play when Watson's not on the floor. That is the general expectation I get. Gonzaga has two centers in EK and Huff. They have two power forwards in Watson and Greg. You could count Yo as potentially being a small ball four as well, although I don't think he's going to be in the rotation. So that's what I'm curious about. Do we see Huff and EK play together? Do we see Watson and Greg play together? Do we see Greg and Huff play together? What roles do they fill? Is is Huff continually playing away from the rim or do they let him get back to the basket where he excelled in that Lewis Clark scrimmage? What does all that look like? This is, again, less of a key to the game. I do hope we see all four of them. Again, if it's a really close game with Yale, we might not. Gonzaga and Mark Few tends to tighten up the rotation in a major way when that happens. But uh, how this four-man rotation in the front court shakes out is something I'm going to be fascinated by all year long. And this is going to be one of our first real chances to, to get a glimpse of how that how that might work. And then finally, last key slash what to watch for here, Nolan Hickman in that secondary creator role. We've talked about this all summer long. Those of you who are everyday listeners, you know that we've been talking about the transition for Nolan Hickman going from being the team's primary starting point guard to being a combo guard and off the ball guard. Gonzaga has loved these two point guard lineups forever. Nigel Williams, Goss, and Josh Perkins took him to a championship in 2017. Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nembhard took him to a championship in 2021. This is what Mark Few wants to do. And he has it now. Ryan Nemhard, one of the best point guards in the entire country. 
Nolan Hickman now shifts to a role that is, he played it a little bit as a freshman when Andrew Nembhard was the starting point guard, but he didn't play it much last year. He was pretty much on the ball the majority of the time he played last year, and it didn't go all that well. He didn't handle pressure extremely well. He struggled to, to really facilitate the offense in the way that, that Mark Few wanted him to. So now he gets to play a different role, and I think it will help him shine. I think he will space the floor better. I think he'll be able to take pressure off Nemhard by being able to come to get the basketball if they are putting pressure on Nemhard. And I think he can create if he gets the ball and, you know, they're doubling Nemhard. He can drive to the basket, kick out for a shot. He can go to the rim and get fouled and go to the free throw line. He can do stuff that makes it harder for Yale to just swarm the basketball, which is something that maybe not Yale, but teams are going to want to do to Gonzaga this year. And Hickman's ability to help facilitate and help kind of be a different ball handler for this team makes that harder for opposing teams to do. So I want to see how Nem, or excuse me, how Hickman looks in that role in this game because I think it'll be fairly telling to what his role might look like going forward this season. All right, closing out today's show talking about an off-discussed option for Gonzaga, putting Anton Watson at the three. He was nominated for the Julius Irving Award for the best small forward in the country. Could he actually step in and play some three for Gonzaga? We're going to talk about it after a word from today's sponsor, Jace Medical. Folks, we spend a lot of time talking together. We get fired up when the team wins. We talk occasionally about the team losing. Doesn't happen much for Gonzaga. We also talk a lot about who's going to start, who's going to sit. Of course, huge conversation going on right now in light of the Steel Venters injury. And I'm truly thankful for that connection that we have. And today I want to chat about something a little bit more personal. Whether you're on an extended travel, whether you're bracing for a major weather event or limited by a supply shortage, which are very common right now, you are all covered. Thanks to our partners at Jace Medical, life-saving antibiotics and a long list of daily medications can be ordered in a one-year supply, even ED generics like Cialis and Viagra prescriptions. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use the promo code LOCKDOWN at checkout for a discount as well. A verified customer had this to say about their experience with Jace. I am thankful for this service. Supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half in order to have it. I ordered most of my daily meds with a year's supply. I also ordered an antibiotic kit. I feel secure now. Prices are lower than local pharmacies. I highly recommend this for everybody. So if you or someone you love would love to get some peace of mind by having a year's supply of any daily medication, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use that promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. All right, folks, closing out the show today, talking to Anton Watson, because the topic of conversation, of course, for the last 24, 48 hours for the Gonzaga Bulldogs has been the loss of Steel Venters, Eastern Washington transfer coming in, expected to start at the three, space the floor, provide some veteran leadership and outside shooting for the Zags, but he unfortunately suffered in practice and will miss the entire 2023-24 college basketball season. We believe that Dusty Stromer is going to step into the starting lineup. We talked about this a lot on Thursday's show, so certainly some conversation to be had there if you have not listened to it yet. We're also expecting, at least I'm expecting, that Jun Sakio may see a bit of a bump playing time-wise. Probably not a ton. It really just depends on whether the staff feels that he is ready or not. And then there's, of course, the opportunity for Gonzaga to do what Mark Few has loved to do in the past, which is run those three-guard lineups. Luka Krinovich, Ryan Nempard, Nolan Hickman could all share the floor together, reminiscent of that 2020-21 team 
when Jalen Suggs, Joel Ai, and Andrew Nembhard frequently played minutes together. In fact, towards the end of the year, that was the starting lineup, was all three of those guards on the floor at the same time. Now, historically, Gonzaga has been more likely to run three guard lineups, like that aforementioned lineup from 2021, than they have to run the three big lineups. However, Anton Watson could be an option for the Zags at the three. I want to tell you why I think it might work, why I think it might not work, and what I overall think is going to happen here to close out the show. Why it might work. Anton Watson's a great perimeter defender. The biggest issue with playing three bigs at the same time is the ability to defend away from the rim. If you, you know, in in the past, you look at lineups like, I remember in 20, I think it was 2015 or 2016 when Gonzaga had Shemek Karnowski, Kyle Wilcher, and DeMontis Sabonis, and everybody thought those were three of the five best players on this roster. They should all be playing at the same time. It wouldn't have worked with that group because you wouldn't have been able to defend anybody away from the rim. There was nobody in that group that would have been able to handle that role where they were in college. That's not the issue here. Anton Watson can do that. Anton Watson can defend on the perimeter. In fact, he's better as a perimeter defender. So defensively, you have two bigs, whether it's EK, Greg, or Huff, some combination of those two guys. And then you have Anton Watson outplaying the perimeter. You also still have the floor spacing. The floor spacing is going to be an issue for Gonzaga because of the uh, because of Steel Venters' absence. Regardless, it's just going to be a thing that Gonzaga is worse at this year because Steel Venters is hurt. But Braden Huff and Ben Gregg are arguably two of Gonzaga's better three-point shooters. Now, we haven't seen Huff do it in a game, and that is a completely reasonable thing to be apprehensive about. But Ben shot 38% from three last year. He can do it. He can space the floor. He can be somebody that consistently pulls defenders away from the rim, gives Ryan Nembhard and Graham E.K. more room to operate in the two-man game, allows Gonzaga to have that floor spacing presence. I suspect Brayden Huff will be capable of, of providing a floor spacing kind of role as well. We just haven't, haven't quite seen him do it. I think the, the player archetypes could work in that regard. However, the reasons that it won't work, Watson's offensive role would be very limited as the starting three. Think about it offensively. You have Graham E.K. down on the block or Braden Huff down on the block, whichever one. You have Ben Gregg or Braden Huff playing the four position, and they're kind of in that high high post, you know, making that entry pass, setting the screens at the top of the key, doing the things that we've traditionally seen from fours in the past. While E.K. is fighting for position down on the block, uh, Huff or, or Gregg is moving around, setting screens, making those entry passes, whatever it may be. And then your three is traditionally out on the wing. They're coming around on on screen at the top of the key. If they're running that motion offense, they're trying to do something there, or they're out on the perimeter waiting for a catch-and-shoot opportunity. That's not really Watson's game. I'm not sure that Watson would – how well he would fit doing that. It just doesn't really work as well. It limits Gonzaga's ability to attack in the motion offense because one of the three guys that's kind of getting the ball passed around up there isn't a ball handler. You know, if Ben Gregg's getting the ball and he's got an opportunity to drive towards the basket, that's not really a big strength of his. It's not really a huge strength of Watson, although he is capable of doing it. It just limits Gonzaga's ability to actually have more of the floor spacing and also just limits them. I mean, maybe you have Watson play at the play the traditional four offensively and you have Ben Gregg out there. But again, if you're starting to run that motion offense, if you need you know, to get the ball to your three in order to, to attack the basket or handle the basketball, it's not a strength that Ben or Braden have. The biggest other issue is it severely limits your ability to get out in transition. Watson's a very, very good athlete. Ben, EK, Braden, none of those guys are going to be 
guys who are really helping lead in transition. None of them are bad athletes necessarily, but I don't think any of them are really going to be getting out in transition the way that Gonzaga would like to do. Ryan is one of the quickest point guards we've ever had at Gonzaga. He flies. And if he's anything like his brother, which we know that he is, getting out in transition, making those throw-ahead passes, forcing the defense to get back constantly, Andrew decimated teams by doing that. Ryan will too. But it's a lot harder to do if you don't have the personnel around you who can get out and go in transition. Those are just a few of the why this won't work, why this might work types of situations. But ultimately, the realistic scenario here is pretty simple. Marfu doesn't like playing three bigs. He does not like doing it. He hasn't done it in the past. He didn't do it with that Karnowski, Sabonis, Wiltshire team. In 2016-17, this team had Shemek Karnowski, Jonathan Williams, Zach Collins, and Killian Tilly, and they didn't do it either. They never ran it. Now, that personnel wouldn't have worked as well. You could argue Zach Collins could have played some more three because of his outside shooting, but it it was never really an option for Mark Few. To me, seeing Gonzaga and Mark Few make the decision to play Anton Watson at the three this late in the offseason, a few days before the season starts, is pretty unlikely. There might be tiny spurts where we see it end-of-game situations. Maybe he'll try it against Eastern Oregon. Who knows? I know that people are looking at this roster, seeing the four bigs and EK and Huff and Greg and Watson, and seeing the lack of depth in the guard room and thinking they're going to have to play three bigs at a time because that's where their better players are. I don't think it's going to happen. Again, maybe very small spurts, but I, I want to I just don't think it's going to be a thing that Mark Few runs. It's not historically what Mark Few has done. I don't think making a big sweeping change. Anton Watson's been on the program four years, suddenly asking him to play the three just doesn't seem all that likely. So for my money, Dusty Stromer is going to play the vast majority of the minutes at the three. Maybe June Sakio gets a slight bump in playing time at the three as well. But I also think you're going to see a fair amount of Luka Krinovich, Ryan Nemhard, Nolan Hickman all on the floor at the same time. I think that's the best option. It's really it's go time for Dusty in a major way, but it's also go time in a big way for Luka Krinovich as well. This is a great opportunity for him to solidify himself as a more versatile weapon for Gonzaga off the bench. If he proves he can play some minutes at the three, be another creator, be another facilitator, Tater for Gonzaga in that offense, it could be something that really helps him not only this season, but beyond. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. We got real basketball tonight, folks. Friday, 6 p.m., Yale, Gonzaga. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic game. Join me on the Discord channel. We have an open game thread. We will be talking literally all game long in there. It's the best place to communicate with me, to communicate with over 200 other Gonzaga fans throughout the game. We'll have a post-game show as well, all coming up here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as always, go Zags.